0: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of Brewers. I am joined with Justin Verberg from Windmill Brewing, yep. co-owner, head brewer. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> I had a little bit of like a uh, rough start on that one for the uh, Facebook Live, but I think it was because the Requiem for a Meme, the 11%er, was hitting me right away. Yeah, we started, with these were full before we shot the promo. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, so thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us. First annual me. episode ever. Is that, uh, I don't even know if that's real. Annual. I would hope they're more than annual. Yeah, episodes, right? We've been doing a lot of them, but this is the first time that we've had this. Okay, so I don't know how to even approach it at this point.
1: Just you see where it goes. That's the windmill model, you know. (laughs) Screw it. Just see what happens. You know.
0: (laughs) Fingers crossed. Uh, We've got uh, so just for people to understand, we're in our new studio, new offices, and uh, we've got uh, a little bit of a a packed house here. It's about five people, Um, and we've got lights. We've got the whole thing, and this is the first time we're actually trying to do this legit. (laughs) We've got uh, the OBS software going strong. We've got the split screen, so hopefully it all works out. Thanks for being the guinea pig.
1: All right. No problem. There there was no (laughs) reference material beforehand. Usually I like to listen to a podcast or something before I'm on it, which has happened like twice. But, you know, it's (laughs) sounding like I'm a professional podcast guest or anything. Choose better than none. Right? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, the last last podcast we had uh, came to our brewery and just like plunked down in the back. And I had to, like, turn off all the glycol chillers and stuff because, I mean, back of a brew is pretty noisy and stuff just to get it quiet enough to a
0: level where we could actually hear ourselves talk. So that was pretty fun, too. Cool. Well, um, again, thanks for coming on. And I think one of the things I really wanted to kind of go through with this podcast is just to kind of document the explosion of this area. I think that was really my motivations behind starting it because um, it's just, it's very rare to see the level of amount of breweries in one specific geographic area that we have.
1: It's crazy. And it's just the, the how many of them started in such a short amount of time too is, uh, clearly there was a demand for it. I mean, it's, I don't think we've lost any of them really at this point. I think there was maybe one or two casualties, but percentage wise, it's not terrible. No. And so, so it's been really well.
0: You're now you're here to promote the three year anniversary of windmill, which is a lot of time in a small business. Exactly. So how did you get your start for the most part? What, how did, how did windmill brewing come together? The, the windmill brewing
1: story, <laughs> it's, it's been, been retold and retold and honed over time. But I basically started as a, as a home brewer, uh, kind of like a lot of other brewers, I guess. And, uh, I would go to Floyd's uh, during my graduate classes at Purdue Cal, now Purdue Northwest. I'm still getting used to that. But, uh, same we would go just close Floyd's down after, after graduate classes once a week. Uh, and just, you know, drinking, you know, OG Floyd's like gumball head and stuff like that. And just talking, like what what would it take to do this? You know? So me and a couple other of my graduate school buddies would get together and read books on it, talk about it, started buying equipment, started homebrewing. Um, just started on my parents' stove with an Irish Red <laughs> recipe. Um,
0: so Irish Red was your first one.
1: Irish It was a kit. It was oh, yeah. liquid malt extract. Um, our one of our favorite beers from Floyd's at the time was Brian Boru, which is a beer they don't make anymore. I still have two unopened bottles of it, which are probably Horrible. horrendous yeah. at this point. <laughs> but just for posterity. Um, so that was kind of what we were chasing. You know, we were trying to go for this. You know, aggressively hopped. Um, nice honey sweetness on it, Irish red ale, um, because it was a seasonal for them. So we thought, Mm -hmm. all right, we want to make this year round or at least have the ability to make it year round. And we made it, um, we put a bunch of honey in it, honey ferments really hot and fast. Uh, and you basically just get a, a lot drier product without a ton of the sweetness that you would expect from honey. Hmm. Uh, we dry hopped it with Amarillo and stuff, which is kind of Floyd's signature. And, uh, we were okay with it, but it wasn't great. It wasn't Brian Boru. Um, So then we just sort of started researching, all right, well, what more can we change? You know, it's, we're all computer science, computer technology majors. So we're trying to figure out, you know, what are the variables in this equation? Start reading more, started getting into all grain brewing, um, took over a good chunk of my basement with equipment um, and yeah, started brewing in my garage. And um, yeah, then over time it sort of just became, well, what would it take to actually turn this into a business? It was it was still fun at that point. Um, they always say, you know, don't turn your hobby into a job, or it stops becoming fun. But it's still fun. Um, but yeah, we learned a lot over those years. So yeah, home brewer. I so still how long
0: how long did it take you from to go from kit? How many brews did it take you to go from kit to all grain?
1: Like two or three. Really? I think so we you realized. Quick. Yeah, we realized real quickly that um, you know we were doing. I think technically it was a partial mash was our first so it was a lot of liquid multi-extract but then you were you were steeping some grains in it and trying to get some flavors up but we knew right away like we wanted to have complete control over the the mashing process with the temperatures grains all that stuff to get the mouth feel and the color and stuff we were looking for so yeah that didn't take that wasn't a long long jump for us we we jumped right in um and yeah that one too we figured that out i think relatively quickly and uh
0: was your all grain rig? Was that just kind of thrown together? or Was that something you put a little money into?
1: It was a typical home brewing all grain rig. It was nothing fancy. You know, home brewers nowadays, I think, spend as much equipment as, as windmill brewing did on their first oh, yeah, like commercial sized yeah. brewing system. I see these guys coming in. They got you know temperature controlled stainless steel fermenters and rims, mash systems, and all that stuff. I mean, we basically had a, an igloo cooler we bought from Home Depot with a screen in the bottom. Which, you know, it works great. I mean, just pretty much the same concept. Um, but yeah, the homebrewing equipment recently has gone crazy. Um, we didn't have any of that fancy stuff. I think the fanciest thing we had was a 20 gallon Blickman boil kettle, really? uh, which we still have at windmill and used to this day, if we're cooking up fruit or something like that for a beer, we still use that. So that's probably one of the original pieces of the system. And I have our original five gallon pot that we used on my parents stove awesome. upstairs too. We'll use that sometimes though. It's a. Uh, it's pretty battered and bruised at this point it's kind of cheap so
0: it worked out so how many brews go into the all grain before you start to get the idea that this might be a fun business to be into probably 15 or 20 not a ton um man was, just, that's really early that's, yeah well, that's I mean, crazy we,
1: we uh we would bottle it we started kegging really really early because i was not happy with bottle conditioning which is a lot of home brewers will just you know you the sort worst. of priming sugar bottle it and pray yeah. Uh, and but you have no control over uh, you can to some degree about how much sugar you put in temperatures and stuff like that but we really wanted to have very precise control over carbonation levels and stuff so that we right away started kegging it purging our kegs with CO2 before we would fill them you know to reduce oxidation temperature pressure charts figuring out what carb level we wanted so we sort of progressed I think through some homebrewer steps pretty quickly and um yeah I would I would bottle it off the kegs, and just hand it out to people. And you know, what do you think of this? Try this. You know, give me critical feedback. Don't just tell me you like it because it's free beer, which is a problem I think sometimes with homebrew beer when you're giving it out to people. And they're like, "Yeah, it tastes great, man." And you're like, "No, does it really taste great. Are you just happy I gave you free beer?" <laughs> uh, so, and most people said, and you're "Yeah." Staring
0: at people as they're drinking the entire yeah. thing. <laughs> okay. All right, man. Nah.
1: Yeah. Um, but people said like, "No, legitimately, this is really good." So we, I, we had some a black IPA and a double IPA. Uh, we entered a, a barley wine and crowned it a home brewers competition once. I like to tell the story because uh, it's it's kind of funny, but we uh, we entered a barley wine in it, and we won a silver medal, uh, and there were three entries in the category. So <laughs> we weren't the best, and we weren't the worst. Um, but it's always fun for a while walking around like, we got a silver medal in the crown home brewer invitation on <laughs> stuff. You know, you don't have to always tell the part that there were three entries in that category but it's awesome um, that told us you know we were kind of on the right path and the feedback from the the judges was actually pretty good on that so yeah at at that point i just got really busy with life and work and kids and stuff like that i'm married with four kids at the time so we kind of took a break from homebrewing for a while because i just didn't have a ton of time to do it Uh, moved from lansing to dyer i would homebrew occasionally in my garage um, with some friends and stuff and i'd always see the building for sale when i would come home uh from the city i'd be sitting on route 30 and that terrible traffic coming Horrible. over that that bridge in Linwood there which wasn't a bridge at the time there were still train tracks there that you could really get hosed on sometimes and uh, i would just sit and look at the building that had a big four rent sign hanging in the front thought that'd be kind of a cool building for a brewery you know it's right on route 30 it's really close to my house it's big it's zoned as a sort of special use industrial area so you know the the hospital takes up a lot of parking on the street but if we're going to be open at night not a big deal and uh call up the landlord and just kind of on a whim just to see what he wanted to rent it for and well what do you want to use it for and i told him and he was really on board with us helped us out a ton with you know zoning and he let us pretty much do whatever we want to the building so awesome. just just don't break it you know and, and uh so we tore out well it was pretty much gutted when we got it but um yeah, the front was a showroom for a garage door company with like a drop ceiling and some old blue like carpet. Uh, so all that came out, drop ceiling came out.
0: And for people who don't know, your location is right across from like, it was, was St. Margaret's. Is it still St. Margaret's? Yeah, St. Margaret's Hospital. And, and it's 30 and Heart.
1: Hart, yeah, those are the main cross streets. Ours is Gettler. So it's that little street that if the light at 30 and Hart is red and you really want to go south on Hart Street quickly, you'll go down Gettler Street at about 50 miles an hour. And then you'll see there's a police station there and you'll slam on your brakes and then you'll turn. Because <laughs> uh, I see that happen probably 500 times a day. Um, but yeah, that's Gettler Street is the street we're on. So. Ah, uh, there used to be a little florist shop next door. It's just an empty lot now. Cool. But,
0: so, what was like? What was the first beer that you were home brewing that you're like, this one? I mean, I know you're talking about your silver metal one, but which one was it? Like, we can take this one and make it something.
1: At the time, it was uh, we just called it Pale Dutch Boy, which was an APA, which is still a beer we make. Though the beer we make now is nothing like the the beer that was.
0: So it's evolved.
1: It's evolved. Um, it was originally just a classic American pale ale, uh, Simcoe, Mosaic, Motowica hops
0: um you don't hear that one very often no it's a new zealand
1: hop it's really fun we've we've thrown that in a couple of our beers um but i really like that one so we originally kind of devised it as just you know a clear american pale ale um and that's what we we that was one of our beers we launched with and uh it's sort of evolved as we've gotten more into the hazy style we changed up the grain bill still same hop combo but we hop it a lot more aggressively and at different times so it's sort of the, the hazy cousin of what its predecessor was. But that was the first one um, that I used to homebrew that people really liked. And then we did a, a Belgian wheat pale ale, which was, I think it, we kind of originally based the recipe off a gumball head clone, but then we fermented it with Belgian yeast, so that was really fun. Hmm. And then we did a uh, single double triple, which is another beer that people ask us for a lot, and we haven't done in a while, um, which was a, we came up with the name before the beer, because I'd tried a Belgian triple and then we just thought single, double, triple, haha, like, and, uh, (laughs) so the idea behind that was a single hopped double IPA style, Belgian triple. Nice. So it's hopped like a double IPA it's fermented with Belgian yeast. It's, is alcohol content is the same as a double IPA or a Belgian yeast. And then we want to do single hop on it. So we could sort of change the hops up over time and highlight, you know, Simcoe hops or Centennial hops. Uh, and we did citra hop version of it one time. How was that? And that was probably one of the first beers that really put windmill kind of on the map. Uh, that was the first one that people would come in and be like, so I hear you got this like citra Belgian double IPA. And, um, yeah, that was probably one of the first beers that we packaged and people would actually like get really excited about. Wow. And this was long before hazy ipas i think were even really a thing
0: well that citra burst was an awesome one yeah i and that was my first one the fad that i really enjoyed
1: yeah and for a while too those hops were like crazy expensive and hard to find because every basically every other brewery and i think this is kind of what helped sort of our success is every other brewery is trying to make a zombie dust clone at that point mm-hmm. so like cool let's buy as much citra hops as possible and make a you know citra american pale ale and it was like we didn't want to do that because just go up the road and buy zombie dust if they had it at the time now it's pretty easy to find but like we don't want to just replicate that like let's put our own spin on it and try something a little different so that was where we came up with the the single double triple thing i think people responded to it really well they they thought oh cool this is something different you know not just another citra pale ale
0: oh yeah well let me me ask you this i know we were talking about the one the first one that puts you on the map but um, from a processing side, where does where where how was the transition from all grain home brewing into now commercial grain brewing, <laughs> and how does that work out for you?
1: So we bought uh, one trick pony's old brewing system, which is a uh, a psycho brew system or style system in the industry, and it's essentially a really large home brewing setup. Uh, There's 65 gallon pots uh, with a you know hot liquor tank, mash ton, boil kettles. So really just scaling the recipes, which is literally clicking a button in the computer software we use and saying, I want, you know, 65 gallons instead of 20 gallons. (laughs) um, That was pretty much it. Um, And then we had uh, eight barrel fermenters that we could fill up. So we'd have to brew four times to fill those because 65 gallons is about two barrels. Wow. So those were long, awful days, um, which we kind of look back on now and laugh like I can't believe we used to do that. And, you know, I can't (laughs) believe we used to make beer on that system and not, not die. Um, but the, the transition was really easy cause it was, it was almost the same setup as I had in my garage. It was just bigger. Um, yeah. And with pumps and other fun things. And I had, you know, glycol jacketed fermenters and stuff so we could control the temperatures a lot easier. Keg it, uh, carbonated a lot easier, things like that. But well, yeah, the learning curve wasn't that, huge.
0: It's interesting you say that because, um, one of the things about upgrading equipment is all about making it easier and faster right right yeah and so that they have not have like that big of a learning curve especially with that level of where you guys were in an experience is really fascinating so it kind of came easy
1: yeah and I, I always tell people too like we have no idea what we're doing we're just sort of learning as we go along so we've since upgraded to a bigger um, nine barrel electric fired kettle bigger mash tun and stuff um we started with a two-head manual filling canning line with a manual seamer you need to crank the can up into it and it would seam it. Um, And we just upgraded to a three-head automated system that we bought from 18th Street that's all, you know, pneumatic and valves and you basically push cans in one side and it spits other ones out the other side. So learning the manual system was kind of fun getting us into, you know, how do you package beers? How do you make sure the seams are right? How do you make sure it doesn't get oxidized in the process? Learning how to fix that when it breaks, you know, you open it up and there's just wires and solenoids and all that inside. Um, now this new system too is just sort of a a bigger faster version of that. So, you know, same concept just bigger and faster and it takes a 10 hour canning day down to about 2 hours. Awesome. So, it's all really just about saving us time. Oh so, yeah. And that's really what the brewing industry is is you're constantly just you know looking to that next big capital expenditure, right? Like, like right now we're looking at, you know, all right, we're going to need bigger fermenters soon. We're topping ours out at nine barrels and just making a mess on the floor and just kind of dealing with it at this point but you know, we're looking at 15s or 20s doing double batches now that we got this faster canning machine and just constantly working towards that next big purchase and i've heard from bigger breweries too like that that just never goes away you're just constantly oh, yeah. saving up money to spend on something to make more beer and it's like you're to make more money startup yeah startup phase yeah and just doing it sort of we're really kind of conservative on it um you know i like to try to find used uh old equipment and sort of repurpose it all our i think everything we've bought at this point almost is is used that we've found from other breweries or craigslist ads and stuff like that our boil kettle is an old dairy tank our mash tun's an old dairy tank that we just converted for our use and saves a ton of money new equipment is really expensive and you have oh, to wait yeah. a really long time to get it oh yeah i think we just bought two of the first new things we've had at at Windmill. We got a new pump finally uh, and a new glycol chiller. Those are the two things I think we've bought new. Everything else has been second hand.
0: Crazy. Yeah. Did you guys start canning or did you guys start off as pretty much a tap room?
1: We started off tap room kegs, uh, did a little bit of distribution with the kegs but mostly just tried to focus on the tap room. Uh, Got the canning machine, started doing just tap room can sales. We wouldn't distribute anything because we would we're still primarily keg based taproom based sure and um and that's that's sort of shifted now where we can pull a couple of kegs for the taproom. everything else goes in cans and then just goes far and wide and now are our, our cadence has sort of picked up to the point where we're able to keep that going because for a while it was you know you only got the tap room so you got to kind of <laughs> stock that with kegs and let those go through because it took us so long to brew four times to fill a fermenter and that sure. was at the time it was you know, when we opened it was pretty much just me in the back or some friends you know if anybody would stop by and help out but um that was pretty hard now we got five employees and awesome. we got packaging cellaring extra hand for brewing so all that stuff yeah it just sort of builds itself over time
0: awesome is the does the windmill name come as a nod to your dutch legacy
1: yeah so me and <laughs> uh scott vandergreen the other owner are both dutch you know from Lansing, South Holland area. Oh yeah. Went to Ileana and all that stuff. So that's sort of a nod to that. People, people ask that all the time. They're, they're like, I assume it's cause you're Dutch. And we're like, yeah, it is. You know, like if you look back and you're like, it wasn't super inventive, but you know, it, it makes sense. And it people, works. People get it. And around here there's, everybody knows kind of the Dutch presence in the area. So it makes sense.
0: Oh yeah. I married into the Dutch community and I, I was it was eye yeah. opening. It was different, <laughs> uh, a little, a very loyal base and it's very um, inclusive. Which is really cool yeah you know
1: yeah Um, they'll welcome you in and stuff and
0: we're not super good at being like
1: very friendly to outside like if you married in like you're good you know basically you're dutch by association there but i think we could work a little bit on you know being a little bit more open it's kind of a kind of a tight-knit group sometimes
0: yeah i told amber jokingly when we were getting married that i might have to change my name to van muskowski just to kind of keep it going. Yeah,
1: Van Makowski-Smart or something like that. Been <laughs> yeah, right in it. there. <laughs> yep, they wouldn't have even questioned you. No,
0: I would have been right in there. Yep. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, fast-forwarding a little bit, and, like, we were starting to start this thing up, and uh, there's definitely highlight moments for us that I would say that we could, like, kind of, like, the ones that I'll never forget. And where were some of those early ones for Windmill? Um, those moments where you kind of sat back and were like, dude, this is, we're, we're doing this. think like the first year anniversary party was really cool a
1: lot of people showed up for that and that was sort of where like all right we got something here like people really like us and care about us and like our beer um and then yeah the other big one for us was when we started the memes and dreams milkshake series all of a sudden it was like we had to learn to deal with crowds and you know people on facebook that wanted our beer really badly but couldn't get it and we're not very happy about that and you know, people are like well just go in the back and make more and we're like well it's not that easy like it takes like a month you know and it's just, so learning how to deal with that was, was sort of fun um, All Memes Day we did, we did that last year in November was super fun um, that was just an idea some of the guys in the back came up with you know people really want these beers like let's just let's kill ourselves and brew at, and that was still when we had our old brewing system so we brewed six batches of memes beers four turns at a time and then we had to package them all and then we had to make a variety six pack so one can from each batch in a six pack which there's no machine that does that so it was literally pallets of cans sitting everywhere and people walking around snap 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 you know (laughs) that but all that work um after that day we were like all right that was great like that was worth every bit of it so that was that was pretty cool people said that they actually liked all memes day better than our anniversary party just it was just you know more beer more fun anniversary parties are always fun though too though last year we had docs at our anniversary party awesome that was when we realized that we'd really tapped out our space there um you know we opened the back up we opened the tap room up but we just don't have the parking or anything to sort of fit that many people in our small little buildings. That was why we decided to move it off site this year.
0: Well, it creates a little anarchy.
1: Yeah, right? I, mean, I mean it really does. And so yeah, it's yeah.
0: kind of, that kind of helps sometimes yeah, with it, the marketing it, side of it. And people get,
1: yeah, people, people get a little upset sometimes. So trying to balance that to, uh, you know, get things in, get lines for them, try to get everybody, you know, through, treated well, like, you know, that sort of stuff is, it's a learning curve. Um, but people around here are really, really nice and pretty forgiving, I would say.
0: Oh yeah. How's the, uh, Dyer Police been in those situations? Good. They're awesome. They, they love
1: our beer. Um, they're really good friends with the small town coffee who roasts in our building too. Um, so they're always keeping an eye out on us, you know, making sure they've, we had one time where, uh, apparently somebody forgot to lock up at night and, um, because we're closed on Sundays, as Dutch people. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I guess a customer came not knowing that we were closed on Sundays and just pulled the front door open. Somebody hadn't locked it at Saturday night and walked in and was like, yeah, well, these guys are clearly closed. Like, what's going on? So she called the police and was like, this business is open. So Scott and I get out of church at night, and there's a voicemail from our you know, police officer saying, I'm at your business. Nothing appears to be out of order. Uh, it was open. Somebody let us know. There's nobody in here but a friendly cat you know and we're like okay cool so yeah <laughs> so just, Luther's
0: there 24 hours a day
1: Luther's there 24 hours a day on, um, on mouse patrol he goes into <laughs> uh, summer mode he's not super busy uh, but winter time when it gets nice and cold outside we got a big empty field next to us um, that's sort of untamed grass and inside is warm and giant sacks of delicious grain sitting there so the mice are like giddy up let's go in there and then they get to meet Luther so that's why that was the original reason we got him Uh, He was a rescue, and uh, Scott's brother, Steve, knows a lady that runs a cat rescue place. And she was like, I have this cat. He's not super social, uh, not very personal, but as like a working cat, he'll probably be really good. (laughs) And uh, we found actually it's quite the opposite. He's very social and not so good as a working cat, but he does catch the occasional mouse.
0: Well, he was very photogenic when we were there. Yeah, and I feel like you guys have been using him as a marketing piece even ever since. Case in point. You know, or, <laughs> the yeah. classes, yeah. Yeah, and just sneaking him on some product labels
1: and stuff like that. I mean, he is he is a fixture of the taproom. I mean, people say they come to play with Luther and drink our beer. So, yeah, we, we have to plan for his demise at some point. I think he's going on five or six years old at this point. I mean, cats will live for a while, but, sure. you know.
0: Well, I think it's like the Georgia Bulldog, you just gotta name the next one Luther II.
1: That's we've been thinking that like name. we should start putting feelers out there for cats that look <laughs> like him and you know, maybe people won't notice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the memes. I wanna kinda rewind a little bit back to that. How does that start? Because that seems to be crazy. I mean the 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 fanfare behind that style of beer for you guys really i feel like cemented your place and uh, amongst like the is uh, compa- not as competitive as it is but there's just a lot of options community wise here from craft uh, beering where, where does that start it started um with uh mike and i are both mark our brewer uh
1: our other brewer and uh me are giant fans of tired hands omnipolo out in uh philly area and um had we just had the omnipolo at twin Cade. oh cool yeah it was okay. awesome Those guys are nuts. Uh, I saw a joke story about them the other day. I think it was like Omnipolo puts actual barley, hops, water, and yeast in a beer. And everybody kind of laughs about that because those are the guys that are throwing like fried chicken in a beer and stuff or burgers. And everybody's like, "Eh, yep, sounds like something they do. Uh, So they're just known for crazy stuff like that. And neither of us had had the milkshake IPA that they made with tired hands. And, um, kind of like the Brian Boru story back in my homebrewing days, like, well, what would it take to make something like this? So we just kind of put our heads together and came up with a recipe and, um, you know, what kind of fruit do we want to do? Well, we were kind of planning on using mosaic hops and uh, mosaic hops and mangoes actually have a similar oil in them. Uh, it's actually the same oil that gives ma- mosaic hops their mango flavor. Really? mangoes have, um, I'm spacing on the name of it right now, but it's, uh, it's literally the same oil. Um, so we thought those two would complement each other really well. Um, I belonged to, uh, a I think like a, oh boy, I'm going to say it on here, 4chan uh, internet board at some point that was like, you know, like stock picking and stuff like that. And one of the things on there was like, one guy had a calendar of like different announcements of like when companies would announce earnings and it was the so-and-so's calendar of memes and dreams. And it was just like, all right, because, you know, the stocks are memes and people would, you know, invest and stuff like that. So that was kind of where the name came from was this, this 4chan internet investing calendar. And we threw it on there and we had no idea that it was going to become like a series of beers. Uh, we threw it to our label artist who had done the artwork for like Tooth by Citra and Forty Hulking Giants. And said we want it to look like a meme, you know, use the impact font on it. And then we'll just, you know, switch up the colors and stuff if we change things on it. And he came up with that, just kind of like a really, really versatile template for us. Um, and that was sort of just the first beer we made and just kind of threw it out there. And we were really happy with it. And we still, to this day, haven't had the Tired Hands omnipolo Milkshake IPA. Um, and people just, it just exploded. Like we weren't we weren't ready for that at all. Um, and then we came up with the idea, we're like let's just do a double version of it, a 9% version of it. That was Mem De La Creme. You know, and that was super simple because we could just take that template change the name, change the color, oh, yeah. just a couple things on it and it's 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 very visually recognizable. I mean, everybody knows what a meme kind of looks like anyways. Yep. Um, font's super fun and recognizable and, um, yeah, it's, it's worked out really well for us um, and really it's just a matter of what sort of fruits we can get our hands on uh, or the gummy bear thing that was just sort of a jump the shark, like, let's just try it and <laughs> see what happens thing, you know, because our, our big thing with the memes beers is always putting real fruit in them. You know, we don't do purees or anything like that we go and buy either real fruit or like real frozen fruit you know chunks and cubes and then wool you know cook it mash it up sanitize it make sure there's no weird bugs in it that are going to infect the beer put it in the beer post fermentation then you get a secondary re-fermentation on the fruit and we just feel that throwing the skins and the stems and all that stuff you just get a little bit of extra extra flavor out of it rather than just dumping in You know an extract and stuff and those have their place in the brewing industry and lots of people use them to great success but that's sort of our thing with these is we always want to try to promote you know that we're using real fruit and it takes a lot of extra time and effort and gives us a chance to fire up that 20 gallon Blickman kettle that I was talking about (laughs) earlier too um but yeah I think the results are, are we're really happy with uh people seem really happy with it oh yeah and um yes planning out all right, when are we going to release this? You know, like, what? how are we going to announce it? When are we going to announce it? Like, trying to coordinate the you know, the packaging date to release date. Usually we release it either the day that we package or the day after we package it. We don't let this stuff just sit around. I think people think we sit on it and then, like, surprise, here's this beer that we want to do, but it's just based on how it's tasting as we're putting the, the fruit in. Um, real vanilla beans is another thing we put Crazy. in there. We don't do any vanilla extracts or anything like that vanilla is like like 330 or 340 dollars a pound now jeez so they're not cheap beers to
0: make but they're delicious when was the debut of the first meme beer what would you know like time wise are we talking a year and a half ago we talking two years ago I don't know I'm
1: I could figure it out but not off the top of my head I'm bad with dates same here bad with dates I know it's my wife's birthday this week that's, funny. <laughs> that's the one that i always have to really remember and yeah. my mom's birthday
0: my wife and i are both august 13th so i have no problem with that <laughs> yeah i i actually forgot my newborn daughter's birthday like two weeks ago oh wow <laughs> yeah and that's been eight weeks so i'm with you on that i have that you'll go into cvs or something
1: for prescriptions for one of your kids and they're like birthday, and you're like uh and they always feel like man they're looking at me like what a terrible parent this guy doesn't know his own kid's birthday and I'm like, well, there's four of them. Like, come on, I'm having a hard time keeping track of these. So, yeah, it's
0: dates are hard for me to keep track of. How's four kids? Because that's I've got one, and I I'm like, that's intense. Three, three is where it gets to the point where you're like,
1: this is crazy. I don't know how anybody does this. And then you just push over that to the fourth, <laughs> and then the one's old enough to start helping out with the younger ones, um, and it goes a lot better. One is the first one is always very. You know, like you're a new parent, you're like, am I doing this right? Am I going to screw up this whole kid's future and stuff? Yeah. And you just kind of have to think back, like people have been doing this for a really long time. Like I'm sure this kid will be fine. Um, and yeah, two's stressful, three's really stressful. I think four is where it starts getting easier. Oof. So just keep on going. Keep on going. Keep well, on going.
0: I, if it was up for my wife, I think we're trying to cap out at three. I think that's where at least my cap is. See, but then you have then you have a middle kid. I and mean, I don't know if anybody has a middle kid. But if I'm going to go four, I'm going to go five. <laughs> I'm gonna get a basketball team together. There you go. At least a starting five. Go for it. Yeah, I mean, then, then like, essentially, if you get to nine, then we're getting really crazy, right?
1: Yeah, then you're getting into, uh, you know, Dutch Reformed people levels of, of <laughs> yeah, reproduction. Yeah. You know, you get <laughs> fill
0: the earth. You know. <laughs> uh, so, uh, getting back to the windmill stuff for a second here. Um, That's so, a really weird. Segue it, did, there. it did. That was a sidebar, yeah. Josh. You're gonna have to maybe edit that out. No I'm kidding. <laughs> Um, but so when it comes to like the legacy of windmill, where do you see it kind of going and where do you kind of want people to kind of know you guys as? I think since the start, we've always just been kind of t- to promote
1: um, different beers, um, you know, not, not just run of the mill. Like we, we really bucked that Citra APA trend for the longest time. We didn't want to brew an IPA. People would walk in and look at our board and be like no IPA. Cause they just expected that we have some little manifesto on our website about like, you know, craft beer and IPA are not synonymous. Um, so just different beers, um, real fruit, um, innovative. And, um, you know, we like to really promote the, the responsible drinking of craft beer too. Like it's not just about, you know, drinking all these nine 10% ABV beers and getting as smashed as quickly as you can.
0: Well, it makes it for a really horrible next day.
1: Oh yeah. No. The worst
0: next day, it's about as good as like a hard alcohol next day. Yeah, craft craft
1: beer hangovers can be pretty bad. Um, so trying to minimize those would be kind of key to enjoy enjoying it, you know, not just not just chugging them. So sure. yeah.
0: Any breweries locally that you, you you're really a big fan of?
1: Oh man, everybody around here's so nice. I mean, we have really good relationships with every brewery. I mean, it I think it's a really rare industry that you are you're almost not even. You know, people call them competitors, but they're really not. I mean, you're sort of I don't know, rivals. My, you it's basically us against the big guys kind of thing. So really, nobody's. You're not pitting yourself against these other breweries. And we've, you know, any anytime you're in a pinch, you can reach out. I got a list on my phone. You know, probably a hundred people long at this point of like. I got a question about packaging. I got awesome. a question about glycol. We're short on can lids, you know, and, and vice versa. People call us, you guys got extra pack techs. We're running out today. You know, boom, we'll bring, bring a case of pack techs over. And it always comes back with a case of beer, you know, and it's just, oh, yeah. just cool stuff like that. We're like, very rarely do you see that in other industries where everybody just views us all as like direct competitors. And really we're all trying to make better beer and trying to promote the idea of craft beer to everybody around here. Yep. And, um. You know try to get people away from you know the now the, the big problem is like fake craft beer you know where like these bigger breweries are buying up breweries and promoting them as craft so that's why the brewery association came up with that independent certified stupid upside down bottle I don't know if I'm allowed to say that <laughs> disparaging remarks against the Brewery association but like you look for that when you you know you buy beer or look on the door or the tap room or something that certifies it's a independently owned you know local business it's not you know, some brewery that's standing this up themselves up that's really owned by Anheuser-Busch or something like that. So that's something that the industry is kind of standing up against, and everybody around here, too, is, has been really awesome.
0: Sure. Well, they, that's one of the things that really brought us to it, which I loved about it the most. When I was homebrewing, I don't know, seven, six, seven years ago, it was one of those things that was just amazing and how infectious— that energy was, I mean, you would talk to this brewer, that brewer, this brewer, and they were all, it was all about tips and it was all about helping each other. Right. Um, and the market share for like the domestic beers was so great that it didn't, like everyone needed to kind of chip in to kind of like make a dent in it. Yeah. You know, and I think that mentality is really stuck. I think it's, we were talking off air here a little bit about the uh, this area in particular and the different waves of breweries that have come around yep. and it'll be interesting. Cause I think we were talking, there's that first wave of, of course, three Floyds that made it kind of really popular, which I didn't know. Did you know crown brewing was the three Floyds of this area a hundred years ago? I knew I that it was a historic
1: name and that they had, it, they had kind of taken that over at some point. I didn't know that they were that
0: big though. Huge. And it was in crown point. And they were just bottling a ton and just sending it out across the Midwest. Wow! And I don't know what the demise of that was by any chance, but um, maybe that's what we'll get on the prohibition. Then maybe, maybe, okay, maybe. Um, So that's crazy to think about. And then, um, so but we have the Three Floyd's one. Then we have like that Crown Brewing, that Figure Eight. And then that third wave, which you said you're kind of a part of, right, where you're just that – I'd say 18th Street was – I remember the first time I tried it was, like, this Crown Beer Fest, like, 2013. Okay. <laughs> you know, toward 2014, and it was Deal with the Devil was, like, my first one with that one, which is I love that beer and store. you were like,
1: whoa, what, what is this? Is yeah. Exactly, yeah.
0: It was, like, eye-opening. And then it really started out our craze with, like, let's start brewing. Let's have fun with it. We just reached a point, which I think all homebrewers reach, is, like, is this a hobby or is this a or is this a profession? Yeah. Because the the, the upgrades and – price start to get kind of out of control yeah a little bit you know and and
1: the other thing that they don't tell you in home brewer to pro brewer transition school is running a brewery is a it's a business and it's a it's a highly regulated um it's a it's a difficult business you know you can't there was a time when you could be a home brewer and make good beer and start a brewery and probably do okay um but with the saturation around here at this point it's it's tough i mean the equipment is very expensive um the taxing and the reporting and all that stuff you got to be on your game with that stuff or the, the government will sweep in and shut you down
0: really so there's a lot of auditing going on yeah yeah That's I, interesting I, like our i think
1: after our first year we got randomly selected for an audit by the indiana state Excise department where it's like they want to check your production records to your tax records and make sure everybody everything matched up you know and That was another cool thing where uh someone from the industry kind of pitched in because we get yeast from floyds occasionally um and i just stopped in and talked to rob their business manager over there and just said like i'm really stressing about this audit like well what do i have to worry about and he's like here here's what they're gonna look for have all this ready and boom 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 he sent me a nice email here's all the reports they're gonna want have all those printed in a folder ready for that guy he'll be there for an hour or two i mean this is a guy that runs floyds i mean they ship beer all over the place everywhere, and he's telling me you know this little guy like dude don't worry about it like and and i did exactly what he said and it worked out perfectly like that was just such a cool example of how somebody in the industry with you know way more experience than i could was just like i got you here's how you do it and helped us out and it was very very non-stressful it was awesome
0: crazy yeah do you where do you see the craft beer industry going do you see the next fad around the corner I, I'm kind of interested to see, I think everybody who,
1: it's funny, like, er, there were, like, IPA holdouts for the longest time, then everybody jumped in on IPA. Now you got sort of the New England style thing, and, like, you know, you got your traditional guys, are like, we're never going to brew one of those things, and now everybody's kind of jumping in, so it's just kind of where's the where's the style going to go, where are people's palates going to go? For a while, that was how many hops can we slam in this bomber, you know, call it a double, triple IPA, and... People drink it and melt their teeth out. And now it's like, (laughs) you know, how, how much hop aroma and flavor can we get in without the bitterness? And, uh, yeah, it's, you know, I think sours are still kind of an up and coming thing. Uh, we got, you know, sour note dedicated sour facility up the road. Um, I'm kind of hoping to see a little bit more development in uh, people's palates around more traditional sours. You know, it's, uh, you know, Lacto, PDO, Britannomyces kind of long aged sours.
0: Um, oh wow! Which That'd are awesome. very
1: hard and expensive to make, um, and
0: don't always turn out. But well, can you talk about the toll that making a sour takes on your equipment?
1: Uh, it's, I mean, it's it's kind of depends on the brewery. Um, a lot of places will do. Some places go as crazy as Upland has separate buildings that they do everything in. We don't. We do mostly kettle sours. You know, so I'm not saying that we're big on that. We have a couple wilds going right now that we did wild caught yeast from the air that's fermenting. Um, and then our fruited sours are just kettle sours. So you're just pitching lactobacillus in there and then letting it sour, then boiling it to just kill all that off and then fermenting it like a normal beer. Gotcha. So it's, it's kind of as much as you want to give it, you know, if you're a sour facility, then you can pitch all kinds of cool wild bacteria ferment it and these, you know, fooders and oak barrels and stuff like that. Um, transient up in Bridgman is doing amazing stuff with that kind of thing up there Um, yeah there's a lot of places around here that are are starting that but it's a it's a long process you know it's not you know a two and a half three week IPA that you're cranking out with a brewer's yeast you're using you know these bacteria that they'll ferment the beer they'll sour it they're not super good at it and they take a long time but the results are amazing so that's something I want to see us get into a little more Um, cool it's just yeah time consuming and again more more equipment more capital oh yeah
0: yeah well that sounds like you're right around the corner of that and we haven't we kind of touched on it in the beginning but I'd like to kind of touch on it one more time the 3 year anniversary what does that look like
1: so we're hosting it offsite um so we can have guest drafts this time um we're inviting a bunch of the food trucks from the Northwest Indiana Food Truck Association uh we've been super good friends with them uh Juan from sizzle box if you've ever had sizzle oh, box great. Food truck great guy uh, too he was one of our like when we opened, we've never had food. Uh, we still don't to this day. That's somewhere else I'd like to go. But he was like our original food truck. Um, we had a friend who showed up for a while and like smoked pork shoulders and stuff in the back. And then Juan kind of came in and started doing cheeseburgers. And he's got his, you know, um, that Chicago-style deep dish uh, grilled cheese that he makes and stuff. And he was like a windmill staple for quite a while. And then he got snatched up by, I think it was like a, the Griffith Summer Farmer's Market or something like that. On the days that we always wanted him um, so we'd lost lost him over there but yeah just getting to work with those guys and they've banded together as like a really neat little food truck association and they'll do festivals and stuff so we thought what better event to highlight Northwest Indiana food trucks than our anniversary party so there's gonna be a bunch of them there um, guest taps finally something people ask us for all the time so pretty much any any brewery that we've done a collab or business with or something like that with in Northwest Indiana with a few exceptions, um, is going to be there. Um, not Devil's Trumpet. <laughs> another, not because, but mostly because I forgot to ask them. Um, and <laughs> and uh, 18th Street, Wild Rose, uh, New Oberfaults. Um, it's it's going to be awesome.
0: I, I can't wait for it. I know it's one of the events we were looking out for this summer. And the other one I'm lo- really looking forward to is, the, I think it's the weekend right before Labor Day is the Burnham. They have another event that's going to be really cool. Those guys put on a ton of events. I mean, like this oh, one yeah. event
1: for us is like we're stressing out about it i mean it's it's a lot bigger scale than what we're used to but those guys just crank out like event after event they have anniversary party they do the the oh yeah 420 ish party uh and just all (laughs) kinds of stuff um those guys are so much fun they're gonna be at the anniversary party too
0: cool we uh we had that party last thursday and that was a ton of stress and it was only 75 to 100 people i couldn't imagine doing it on that large of a scale
1: yeah the coordination's crazy and it really makes you appreciate you know like you look at what dark lord day is every year like and i know they i think they use a like an event planning company at this point because it's like just dealing with that many people and that much you know you got this year they went cashless because you know it used to be you pay for some of your stuff with cash and then you got like Well, crud, what do I do with all this money that's sitting around? Like they would have like runners with vests and stuff and like I mean, it's just insane when you get that many people in a spot. And this is just little old us in a park with like five guest breweries and some food trucks. And it's like we're talking about having to we had to apply for a liquor permit, we had to get porter pies, we had to get fencing, we had to get approval from the town. We're having two off duty police officers for security, we're having the dire FOP's gonna be there selling water bottles, it's sort of like a little fundraiser for them. We got merch tent just scheduling the people for that i mean it's it's a lot of planning it that goes lot. into something like that people show up sometimes and they're like why do i gotta pay ten dollars to get in here and you just kind of turn around and look at everything behind it and you're like yeah you're right that is kind of a lot of money <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> sorry yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah it, i think it'll go really well and um hopefully the weather holds that's the only thing we have absolutely no control over is the weather at this point so August generally a little on the warmer side, not super wet sometimes, so see how it goes well it's been
0: starting to cool down we do weather now i don't know if you've seen that oh uh, the, the region weather thing? the region weather yes. stuff yes so we do that and we just learned that last week that we're every day going into this is like we're, we're losing like almost 20 minutes of every week we're losing about 15 minutes of sunlight oh man so it's going quick and so it'll probably be a little cooler around that time which which would be great and hopefully the rain will hold off and it'll be a great event perfect yeah it sounds beautiful it sounds like san diego
1: yeah that's uh the, San Diego, I've, I've been there recently, and uh, I can see why people want to live there, but then you look at home prices, and all of a sudden, Ow. you're like, all right, I'll put up with the winners in Northwest Indiana.
0: You mentioned Juan from Sizzlebox, and this is a funny story. We were at the Off Square one-year anniversary. And uh, we usually go into the, the food trucks to kind of get, grab some footage. And we when we were in there, there was a guy who must have been waiting. Cause you know how food trucks are, man? It's a limited supply. They've got to literally make the orders fresh. So right. that just holds up time. That's just the way it is. And so we are in there, and this guy is screaming at me as if I'm, like, the owner of the food truck. <laughs> and he's yelling at me about hey, you're in there taking pictures and you're running cameras how about you shut the fuck up and make some make some actual food for me <laughs> this is like this whole thing and like all, me and the sizzle box employees I've never met these guys before we're all sitting there just like what the hell is going on here guy ends up just like give me my money back I'm out of here and then turns around and just writes him a shitty Yelp review about the whole thing Uh-oh. don't it, get me started on Yelp <laughs> unbelievable that someone can just write that stuff it's uh, it's crazy and so it, it was like that's so I, saw, I saw Juan because he was not there for that day Oh, and, wow. and then I saw one at the Pints in the Park event, and we were—I was in the truck, and he's like, "Were you here for that? Because now <laughs> it's become like a real thing, you know." Um, but the food truck—the food truck scene—is so fascinating to me. It, there's something about
1: buying food out of the side of a truck. I that's don't know amazing. what's so cool about it, but I mean, like, you can see the kitchen, the people are always really friendly, the food is always really innovative, um, and that's why I think for our anniversary party, I think it's going to be really cool. How many do you have coming? I don't know at this point. Um, the number keeps changing because some people drop out, some people add. Uh, I think it's like seven. I want to awesome. say, and they're not all. They're not all like food trucks. Like we got one that's uh, like bubble tea, one that's cupcakes and desserts. So you're gonna be able to show up and not just get like you know eight iterations of it cheeseburgers and hot dogs or stuff like that. I
0: mean, it's there's a lot of different things. Um, I can't wait for that. Um, is it that same food truck alliance? That whole group? Yeah, the yeah, North Indiana Food Truck Alliance. Cool, cool. Yep. Well, looking forward to it. Is there anything you'd like to kind of leave our listeners with? No, uh, just uh, pl- please come to the anniversary party. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta come. pay for the
1: porta potties.
0: <laughs> There's a lot of them. You won't. Hopefully, there won't be lines. <laughs> awesome. Well, Justin, thank you for coming in for the first episode ever. Thanks for having me. That's fantastic. And then uh, go to the anniversary party. Check that out. Where can they find you? Uh, On Facebook, just look up Windmill Brewing, and uh,
1: there's a link on the event page there for our anniversary party to buy the tickets and all the other infos on there as well. Awesome. Does Luther have his own pages? Luther does not. We've debated it uh, because there were people that were starting to get a little upset when we were doing, like, cat pictures all the time. And they're like, hey, how about post some pictures of beer? Um, So he does not have his own page yet, but I should do that. Yeah. It'd be a good
0: cross-reference. Yeah, maybe get him a Snapchat account or something, too. <laughs> That'd be cool. <laughs> well, thank you for coming in. I know it was a little bit of a drive from Dyer, so I really appreciate that. Not too far. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and next week, we have Chris from Devil's Trumpet, so we can have that conversation. Awesome. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Cheers. Later.